Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome once again, fight fans, to another episode of Career Profiles with me, your host, Sean Basto, joined, as always, by Johnston Brown to break down another career of an absolutely legendary fighter. And today's episode is all about Alexis Aguayo. But before we get into the career profile of Alexis Aguayo, please go and check us out on social media on the Twitter handle at career underscore profiles. And also the Facebook page, the BTR Boxing Podcast Network, where all our latest episodes of all the latest series that we have running are on there, including The Darker Side of Boxing, the BTR Boxing Podcast main feed, Legendary Nights, and Ones to Watch. Now, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so by checking us out on any available podcasting app out there. Apple Podcast is the main one. If you are an Apple Podcast user and you've not already left us a rating and a review, please do so. It really, truly helps. Thank you to all the guys that have been leaving us reviews over the past couple of weeks. We've truly, truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you're an Android user and you want to check us out on any other available podcasting apps, there's things like Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Castbox, Acast, you name it, they're everywhere. Go and check us out, leave us a rating, leave us a review, wherever you can. It's truly appreciated. And without further ado, let's get into the latest episode of Career Profiles. It's the career of Alexis Aguayo. The explosive thin man, one of the greatest fighters of all time in boxing. We're talking about Alexis Aguayo, of course, one of the fighters that we've really enjoyed covering for our Legendary Night series. And now he's come up at the recommendation of one of our listeners, Martin Lee, who really wanted us to do Alexis Aguayo. So, Martin, as always, thank you for your feedback. We're really looking forward to this one. This is an absolutely fantastic fighter, a guy that won multiple world titles in multiple weights and had such an established career. But outside of it all, was just an absolutely, genuinely humble, nice guy. He really was a, a fantastically nice nice fellow, and that's one thing you get with Alexis. He was the gentleman, wasn't he? he was uh, that Everybody called him the gentleman. He, he certainly was that, and even when he would uh, pulverise his opponents in the ring, when he got between them ropes, it was devastating. And afterwards, he would shake their hands, give them a cuddle, um, <laughs> and tell them how great they are. He, for me, he, he probably, I believe the best super featherweight. Uh, I really do believe that. I, I, honestly, I there is some fans. Obviously, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. fought at that weight and Floyd Mayweather Jr. 
But for me, I just think he was a fantastic fighter to watch and absolute legend, as you say, a gentleman in out of the ring, not so much inside it. So we're going to go through it as always with career profiles. We're going to go through a lot of notable incidents outside of the ring, a lot of things that went on in his life, how it all began for him. And I'm just going to throw a quick disclaimer in there to say some of the names are so difficult to pronounce. So if we absolutely butcher these names, we wholeheartedly apologise to anyone that listens that may be from Nicaragua or from South America that listens to the podcast and are sat there thinking, what are these guys on about trying to put these pronunciations? together apologies in advance guys but we are really looking forward to doing this so starting at the beginning of course april the 19th 1952 andreas alexis aguayo was the fifth born out of nine in managua nicaragua to mother zoilia rosia borjoquez and father guillemero aguayo bonilla and he was also named cebolon which is big onion he had three sisters, Marina, Norma and Isabel, and five brothers, Orlando, Eduardo and Cesar, who were younger. But his older brothers, Guillermo Jr. and Ivan, were very protective of Aguayo. And Ivan would be a major influence in him taking up boxing. They lived in a one-story wood home bordered by similar houses on each side. Now, Guillermo Sr. was a shoemaker, but he struggled to make ends meet like many of these stories go, to provide for his large family. Now, in a sad turn of events, he found himself at breaking point. Feeling like a failure, he attempted to take his own life by jumping into a well. But he survived the fall. When the fire brigade arrived to fish him out, he used the rope as a noose to hang himself. He arose to the surface, unconscious and blue, but paramedics revived him, and he actually survived. Now, his wife, Zoyla, had the mammoth task of feeding all of the children on only 10 Cordobas, which was $10, which meant that the boys would have to work or hunt to provide if food was really low. And Aguayo actually recalls, my parents couldn't afford to have a camera. I never took a picture. My dad used to give me $10 to my mum for breakfast, lunch and dinner, 10 bucks to feed eight kids. It was tough for her to bring us up. But she did it. That's why she used to tell me, Alexis, you have to go and hunt with your shotgun to bring home some iguanas and possum for food. When Aguayo wasn't at school or hunting for food, he would work on a cattle ranch and help his father build a sewer system. Well, yeah, this was a mad start. It was his dad obviously attempting suicide when he was, I believe he was about five or six, um, and obviously uh, $10 to feed. It, it, it says eight children. It was eight children because the ninth was older and she had moved away his older sister. So she was obviously living, she wasn't living in the property. But, oh, awful, really. Um, he had to, he witnessed that as he pulled out, he pulled himself out of that well as well. And, uh, yeah, not, not, not nice for Alexis. And so Alexis's sister, M- Marina, the oldest of the siblings, actually, this is the one that wasn't living in the property. Uh, she married a famous Nicaraguan boxer called Eduardo Raton Mojica. A guy uh, never fought for a world championship, basically because he priced himself out before beating the current world bantamweight champion. He was a Thai legend, Chachai I do know. I want to know the name, uh, but he was in a non-title fight, so he never quite established to, to get himself that title. But he was well known in Nicaragua, and they they loved him, uh, even if he didn't have a world title. Now, Rasson and Ivan, one of the brothers, were responsible for taking him Aguayo to the gym regularly in an attempt to toughen him up due to him getting in fights in school. Although he was pretty good in school and he, he tried to, he was very quiet. He did get into the odd scrap on the street. Uh, so it was uncommon for him to be getting in any trouble at all. But he did accompany Rackham to the gym and Rackham actually says, I became a first coach of Alexis because I took him to practice in the Victoria Gymnasium. It worked in his favour because by the time he was ready, take up boxing, these tough sessions obviously paid dividends for him there. At the age of nine, Aguero did run away to work in a dairy farm. There wasn't much information on it. It's just, I'm not quite sure what that's about. In the book, he doesn't mention it. Yeah, just, just another fact that we discovered in our investigation. Alexis obviously making uh, an early start into boxing. So while Aguero was only in the fourth grade at Del Sagrado Corazon de Jesus, he was told 
He couldn't go back to school one day because his family were behind on their educational annual fees. But on top of that, Alexis found out later on in his life that the teacher had hidden the collection money. He was devastated. And he says, As a kid, I got thrown out of school. I didn't know why, but when I got home, I realised it was because my father couldn't pay for school. Can you fucking believe it? Back then I asked myself, how could a guy have it in himself to kick a kid out of school because his father couldn't pay for it? If I saw that guy today, I would kick his ass. This is detrimental to humanity. So this was obviously a quote that he put into his book and he's talking about that particular period of time. And for Aguayo, although it wasn't easy for him growing up in poverty, the one benefit he did have was that the area he lived in wasn't particularly dangerous. Now, Aguayo was an intelligent and fun living kid. So in his spare time, he would go to the local dance every Friday and Saturday night. And he said, I liked some of the Latin songs. I was born in 1952. The 50s, 60s and 70s had a different kind of music back then. Now, while in his teens and the family in desperate need for money, Aguayo decided to head off to Ontario in Canada to work and stay with some of extended family. And he said, my father spent $2,000 getting me to Canada, so I knew that I couldn't come back without it. I cleaned bathrooms, and I worked in a Chinese restaurant. I worked enough to make money to come home. In less than a year, Aguayo returned with several thousand dollars, but it was a trip he will never forget. A time he recalled as his hippie stage, Aguayo said, Back then, I went to free concerts in the park. I was a straight hippie. No drugs. Just enjoyed the music and the people. <laughs> uh, funny time. Uh, obviously, he enjoyed it. And he, actually, he did return. He came back with, with, with a few thousand dollars, which is uh, obviously the, the family would have been grateful for. Him. And all the brothers actually doubled in boxing. But it was only Orlando and Alexis that made significant progress in the sport of boxing, with Orlando even participating in the Central American and Caribbean game. In the end, Alexis would become the boxer, and Ivan was part of that reason. Ivan said, in my opinion, Orlando used to be a little better than Alexis, but he wasn't disciplined like Alexis. I needed to decide who to help, Alexis or Orlando. Orlando had everything, but he didn't have that discipline. Alexis had everything and that discipline. Both were excellent. So there were conflicting stories as to why 14-year-old Alexis Arguello ended up in Estadio Nacional Boxing Club. Now, Alexis himself recalls that his dad uh, actually advised him to go and see Miguel Ango Rivas, a.k.a. Kid Pambele, a popular Nicaraguan trainer and former welterweight, down from Estadio Nacional. Now, his dad said to him, go to the gym and see Pembele. Maybe you can make something with yourself. Aguero responded, what the fuck am I going to do in the boxing gym? So obviously after that, that time in Canada, he, he had that hippie stage, as he said, I, I don't think he quite fancy boxing. He actually was really good outfielder in baseball and he, he enjoyed loads of other sports, in, like football and stuff like that. So boxing wasn't really his thing. So the second story is his brother-in-law, Ratton, and brother Ivan sent him to Pembele the director of the National Boxing School. Now, this was because Mohika Ratan was a still active fighter and wasn't able to progress him, although many feel his boxing career faded. So he's more interested in training Aguayo than concentrating on his own career. Now, former boxer and former opponent of Ratan, when Ratan made his debut, was Carlos Kid Valerita Varela Sr. Now, he would back up the story that of Raton, and one day he, he said, one day Alexis's brother Ivan and Raton brought him to the Stadio Nacional in pursuit of a boxing career. Raton and Ivan taught him the fundamentals, but could not train him. So that was the reason why he he came. He ended up in the boxes. You know, the story of the first training session was not conflicting at all. And Aguero's first sparring session, he knocked out two of his sparring partners. This sent Valera, who was overseeing back to Pembele with raving review and a plan to polish up his raw talent, Aguero decided to pursue a career in boxing to provide for his family and wanted Pembele and Raton to guide his career. Aguero was the perfect student and showed a discipline and maturity beyond his years. He made a promise to do whatever they wanted me to do. A man who doesn't have his word is not a man. Alexis 
had added pressures when fighting as an amateur, although he would win medals and tournaments in preparation for his professional debut, his family started to rely heavily on his earnings. His dad would be at all his bouts. He was interested in the money. Fuck the medals. I want some green bucks, said his dad. His mum, on the other hand, never went to any of his fights. She'd light a candle on the night of his fights and pray that he returned safe. And she would say, there's more pride in this business other than only to make money. It's not about money. Where's your pride? Your pride. Now, Pambele was a significant cog to the machine. Aguayo loved him like a second father, and he used all these assets to his advantage. He stood at five foot nine, which is very tall for a bantamweight, and very few fighters could cope with his long levers and height. Plus, he could hit hard, but his weakness was his footwork. Now, under Pambele and Valera's tutelage, he developed his powerful jab and improved his body punching and sharpened his uppercut. But they would also buy him food, drinks, movie tickets, and give him advice to tell him to stay away from the fags and booze. Just before Aguayo turned professional, he actually almost died. He had a fever of 110 and passed out only to wake up two days later. He is adamant that he saw a light, a near-death experience that he recalls. Aguayo had a brief amateur career, which saw him compile a record of 58 and 2. Now he turned professional at the age of 16 because he needed the money. And quite simply, there's no money in amateur boxing at that time in Nicaragua. Now most record keepers say that Arguello debuted against Israel Medina on October the 26th, 1968. But in his biography, Beloved Warrior, The Rise and Fall of Alexis Arguello, it mentions his first fight against Daniel Cachora in Lyon, Nicaragua, on the 1st of August, 1968. Now, Aguayo actually recalls that bout in his book, and he says, This guy offered me $100 to go and fight in Lyon. I went to win the $100 for my mum. I got knocked out in the first round. I just threw a right, and the guy made me miss. I went down, and he hit me right in my liver, and I didn't get up. I just sat there. I didn't do the right thing, because I was only in it for the money. I didn't even take it seriously. I was supposed to be an amateur first, but I didn't do it. This was not uncommon for bouts to be missed in the late 1960s because it was rare for anyone to keep statistics. He did fight fellow debutant Medina in his next fight at the Cranshaw Stadium in Moaga, Nicaragua, and a nervous Aguayo knocked him out with a 1-2 left hook and right hook in the very first round. Now, with an official record of 3-0, he took on the brother of Daniel Cachorro, that was Omar Amaya in his first professional fight. So Omar Amaya is in his first professional fight against Aguayo, who's 3-0 at this point. Now Aguayo actually lost by knockout on March the 1st, 1969 at Leon in Nicaragua and never actually got the chance to revenge any of his knockout defeats to the Cachorro brothers. Yeah, in, in Aguayo's second pro fight, he beat debutant Oscar Esponeza, a.k.a. the Scorpion, on point. But lost in their rematch by a split decision in his fifth pro fight to go three and two with with his pros. You know, if they if that first fight had have been on record, he would have actually been three and three. And that was on April 26, nineteen sixty nine. Once again at the Cranshaw Stadium where he fought a lot of the time. In the same year he married his girlfriend, Sylvia Urbina. A girl called it Love at First Sight, as they do when they get married when they're young. This was the beginning of a sixteen fight winning streak which started with a stoppage victory against Marcelo Beckles, who was 18-8-1-1 on September 24, 1970 at the National in San Jose in Costa Rica on the undercard of Raton against Osses as well, which is interesting. Now, most of the team around Arguello were dead against his fight and they did not want him to fight Marcelo Beckles. They, they said Beckles was just too far ahead. Uh, and a lot of them questioned the decision to, to let him go. Uh, he didn't have the experience they felt against the fight with Beckles' calibre. Basically, they just didn't think he was good enough. But Raton was adamant. He said, no, he will win this fight. And he was proved right as Aguero actually won by an eight-round technical knockout. And for his performance, he actually earned his biggest per state, which was $600 as well. So he earned a nice little bit of money. Up against it, they obviously thought he weren't ready for it. His team were apparently really pissed off with Raton, but he, he, he felt that he could, he could get the win, and he did. He knocked, he knocked the guy out in eight. Now, during a five-fight knockout spree from September the 24th, 1970 to February the 13th, 1971, 
all at the Cranshaw Stadium in Moaga, Aguayo moved to 9-2, and two, but he also impressed a wealthy businessman in the crowd who witnessed a three-round destruction of Julio Morales. Dr. Eduardo Roman, Vice President of the Empresa Nacional de Luz Ferreira, which is also titled E-N-A-L-U-F <laughs> for an abbreviation. It's a bit of a mouthful. The National Power and Light Company in Nicaragua. So he's got this wealthy businessman who's starting to take a bit of an interest in him at this point. And of course, he wanted to invest in boxing and the 18-year-old Aguayo was the fighter he identified. So Aguayo was earning 300 cordobas per month and he was working with his dad to earn a little bit more. Roman told him, I will pay you 1,500 cordobas and the 300 cordobas for training purposes and he would get him a trainer. He never charged the 33% that most managers normally do. He actually settled for travel and hotel expenses instead. Now Aguayo spoke fondly of Roman to a reporter I will never forget this as long as I live. The first thing Dr. Roman gave me was not a contract to be my manager. We still have no contract. But it was a book about the Second World War because he knew I always wanted to read. Now Roman also helped Aguayo get back into school where he went on to earn a college degree and encouraged himself to learn English. Now after that, Aguayo gained two significant wins in March and April of 1971 over Julio Hernandez. So he beat him twice in a row. Both fights were actually classics that the fans thoroughly enjoyed and both ended with unanimous decision victories over the 10 rounds in favour of Arguello. By the sounds of it, there were two absolute wars where neither guy stopped punching. Yeah, yeah. when they describe it in the book and what I've seen online, they they really, it was was two cracking fights and, you know, the fans loved it. It, was, it just sounds like it was savage. Shame you can't get the video footage of that. I'm sure there probably wasn't one around there. Moving on, once again, um, Alexis put together another firefight knockout run from May 1st, 1971 to August 14, 1971, bringing his record up to 16-2 now. Definitely looking a lot better than what he did at the very beginning. Amongst those victories, he knocked out Mauricio Butrago, who was actually one and one in seven rounds, and his brother, Emilio, who they called Kid Clay, who was four and four, knocking him down with a left hook in the third, along with his teeth. He actually opened up a cut, resulting in the dot to the fight, so he knocked out a few teeth of Kid Clay's as well. In the rematch against Kid Clay, who was now four and five, on October 2nd, 1971, Alexis Arguello won the vacant Nicaraguan bantamweight title in his 17th fight, at the same venue, at the same Crenshaw Stadium. Aguayo showed a lot of courage to win the title as he actually aggravated a prior injury to his left hand, which I, I believe he, he cut the fight before. And he had to fight the last two rounds with just his right hand. His next fight came against a close friend and training partner, Ray Mendoza, who hadn't actually won a fight. It was 0-5. Now, although his record does suggest that he wasn't uh, the best of fighters, he was actually a very tricky southpaw. He, you know, he didn't win. Uh, he, it was uh, Alexis who uh, knocked him out in the fourth. Mendoza does actually recall in 2011, it was a very emotional fight for me. I was beating him until the third round. I started boxing him in the fourth round. Then, with his long reach and that side, he measured me and measured me and hit me from one-two. So already now we're starting to see Alexis is really starting to progress. Nice finishing off guys for fun. So on January the 15th, 1972, Aguayo fought Jorge Reyes, who was 7-6, and six, but the fight was stopped in the 6th because he broke his left hand in two places. He fell to his third professional defeat to go 19-3. and three. He went on to have surgery on his hand, and they put a plate, which was a platinum wire, in his hand, which meant a nine-month layoff. Now, he was actually scared that his career would be over. And Varela recalled he was out of control crying because he'd injured his hand so badly. He thought his career was over. Aguayo was obviously anxious about using that left hand. But he got back to winning ways in style with a first round knockout of Jorge Benitez on September the 9th, 1972. Now, Aguayo had clearly put them hand troubles behind him as he stopped 11 of his next 12 opponents. A tremendous knockout of Octavio Gomez on June the 30th, 1973. Varela said 
It was the most spectacular knockout. He hit Gomez so hard with the left hook that he actually lifted him off the canvas. In his next fight against unknown Nacho Lomeli, who was 4-2-1, both he and Lomel shared a rocky moment as they landed the punch at the same time and both hit the deck simultaneously, <laughs> only for Arguello to get back to his feet and knock him out with that beautiful right hand. Now, even more impressive was his first round destruction of the former two-time WBC World Featherweight Champion from Cuba, Jose Legra. He was 129-10-4. Now, the fact that Legra was the current number one contender and had just lost out to Edea Joffrey on points only six months earlier made this victory even more remarkable. And Varela described the brutal finish again. Alexis hit him so hard in the second round that the guy collapsed and bounced completely off the canvas. He bounced up, lifted his head off the canvas, and then bounced back down again. <laughs> He's had absolutely devastating when he finishes at the minute. And uh, Jose Ligbo is 129-10-4. Obviously a, a fantastic fire, and he absolutely destroys him again. I mean, beautiful right hand he's got there, and those left hooks and just those long levers. He was really looking sensational at this point. And on December 23, 1972, an earthquake measuring 6.2 on the Richter scale shattered the lives of 300,000 people in Managua. In an act of fate, with just unbelievable luck, Aguero decided to take his newborn son, Alexis Jr., a.k.a. AJ, to bed with him and Sylvia. The earthquake crushed the house, leaving only one room left standing, and that was the bedroom that they were all in. So wow. by taking that, that making that crazy decision to just move your child and all that, you know, apparently the, the cot was crushed as well. So, wow, unbelievable, really. So Aguero did travel to Panama to challenge the WBA featherweight champion who was Ernesto Marcel, who was 39-4-2 on February 16, 1974, who had won the title for Venezuelan Antonio Gomez in 1972. It had only ever been stopped by Roberto Duran. Marcel would earn $80,000 and Arguello, $7,500. At weigh-in on the day before, Marcel came in overweight at 125 and three-quarter pounds. He was, told, he was not told to sweat it off. They just allowed the fight to still go ahead with Arguello weighing at 122.5 pounds. Now, it's interesting that because normally they would definitely say sweat it off, but because of the amount of money that was involved, they were not interested in cancelling this fight, even if he was overweight. Really strange one. So he definitely came in. God knows what he came in in the ring as. Now, Lexus showed flashes of brilliance, but he just couldn't sustain the pace for 15 rounds, which meant that the teacher was able to outclass the student. Marcel won a clear points decision, but didn't have it all his own way. And with Aguero almost knocking Marcel out on two separate occasions, before the fight, Roman had brought in Mexican trainer Pepe Morales as head trainer to work with Kid Pembele and Valera, but he was kicked out of the corner after the eighth round so they could take full control. Basically, Alexis was in bits, started crying, and he was saying, oh, I'm hurting, I need to stop, and they just decided to come in and they kicked his ass into gear, and he kicked on from the eighth, uh, and he almost caused Marcel an upset, but Marcel brilliantly came back in those last sort of three rounds to win the fight convincingly. Now, after the fight, Marcel was true to his word, he did retire, but after the fight, Marcel was full of praise. Arguero has a strong punch and is a good boxer. Someday he will be champion. Arguero broke down after the fight to come to the just overwhelming pressures that he faced in trying to make Nelson proud. But with time, he realised how much of an important acid test this was. And he, he knew never to make the same mistake twice. And he did speak about the bout sometime after. I realised that it wasn't strength, but intelligence that commands the ring. One round cannot be the same. They vary. You have to use strategy and brilliance to hit and not get hit. When you become a master, and I accomplished that later on, I found out I didn't have the qualifications to be a world-class fighter. Not yet. So at that point, he's obviously realised that he'd got that step up, but it just wasn't the right time for him, although he'd been involved in some absolute wars, as we spoke about in the episode. The Ernesto Marcel fight just was a little bit too far at that point. So with that knowledge in the bank, Aguero got himself ready for another title shot in the future, and with Marcel retiring, a world title shot would present itself within nine months. Now, during that spell, 
Aguayo began working with a new trainer in Panamanian, Ramon Dosman. He had also trained Marcel and Ishmael Laguna. Aguayo also added his close friend Luis Cortez as his assistant trainer before knocking out three of his next four opponents to propel him up the rankings before he got a second world title shot, which would be the same title vacated by Ernesto Marcel. So on November the 23rd, 1974, in Arguello's American debut at the Forum in Inglewood, California, he took on his former sparring partner, Ruben El Puaz Olivares. He was 78-4-1 for the WBA featherweight title that he'd attained against Japan's Sensuke Utagawa. Now, manager Dr. Roman agreed to a fight at the forum with the forum promoter Don Fraser because Olivares was not interested in taking his title to Nicaragua and Aguayo did not want to fight in Mexico City, so they agreed in California. This was the Mexican legend's first defence and 17th fight at the forum and it is a fight on YouTube, which, of course, we highly recommend to you guys to go and watch. Olivares was ahead on the cards going into the 12th round when he looked to have Aguayo in trouble and he emptied the gas tank but he could not get that knockout so a spent Olivares came out for the 13th exhausted and Aguayo just took advantage. Both fighters actually landed simultaneous left hooks which both felt the effect of but it was Olivares that came off more so because he ended up hitting the canvas but he managed to get up of course this story is only going to go one way. And Alexis Aguayo landed another peach of a left that put Olivares on the seat of his pants to end the fight. And after the fight, Aguayo said, I was fighting for my life. Olivares hurt me in the 8th, 9th and 10th rounds. I felt like I might go down in the 10th. This is a very happy and proud day for my country and myself. Aguayo earned $15,000 that night and he made a promise to his parents. I did it for my folks. They went through so much that I wanted to buy a house for my mum. He was finally a world champion in his 40th professional fight. Wow, 40th fight. That's crazy, isn't it? So Alexis Aguayo made his first successful defence of the WBA featherweight title against Leonel Hernandez, who's 29-4, and in an eight-frame stoppage victory on March 15, 1975, in Cancarus, Venezuela. Now, Aguayo was carried around the ring with the national, the, the, the national Nicaraguan flag draped over his back. So they were overwhelmed that he came, uh, he, although he was in Venezuela, uh, he had, obviously had a huge following there and it, it was it was just a way of him, basically, the fans just saying how much they adored him. Now, two months later, back in Nicaragua, um, he fought in the Estadio Ron Floor de Cana against R- Rigoberto Riasco, who was 1944, and Aguero stopped the Panamanian in two rounds to win the vacant ring and lineal featherweight titles. Now, to add to that WBA version, he picked up against Oliveras. Now, Alexis went on to stop Mexican Rosalino Mira, who was only 12 and 1 at the time, in just two rounds back in California again before heading off to Tokyo, Japan to make a successful first defence of his featherweight titles against the undefeated Royal Kobayashi, who was 18-0 and 0 on October 12, 1975. And Alexis Aguero did actually earn 125000 his biggest payday yet, against Kobayashi, where he put the Japanese challenger down twice with a devastating body punches before it was ended in the fifth. The following two wins in Nicaragua and one in Mexico against Jose Torres before he went back to the Forum in California on June 19, 1976. He went to make his fourth defence of the WBA title and the second of the ring and lineal titles against the brother of Jose, Mexican Salvador Torres, who was 22-3. and three. Now, he earned $50,000 for that fight, in which he was victorious by a third-round knockout. Aguayo became depressed after his divorce with Silvia, which made him impulsive but only briefly retire from boxing. It would be an eight-month hiatus from the ring, during which he met a new girl, Patricia Barito, who he would later marry. Although their marriage would only last a couple of years, not long after making his return to boxing, he fought in the summer of 1977 at Madison Square Garden for his New York debut, headlining a card against Esquilo Sanchez, who was 22-6-1 in the junior lightweight bout which he won by stoppage in four rounds. 
Now Sanchez had a tooth knocked out for his troubles and Aguayo brought in another member to his team, Don Khan, which went beyond trainer-fighter partnership. Their relationship would go on to last a whole lifetime. And in a fight that was promoted by Don King, Aguayo had moved up to the Super Featherweight division to fight for the vacant WBC Super Featherweight title against Alfredo Escalera, who was 47-2 at 29 knockouts at the Juan Ramon Labriol Stadium in San Juan Bayamon, Puerto Rico, in what turned out to be an absolute fantastic fight. Both fighters were an absolute bloody mess. So the fight ended up being dubbed the Bloody Battle of Bayamon, in what some experts consider one of the most brutal fights in boxing history since Henry Cooper versus Muhammad Ali too at that point, which was noted by Howard Cassell. Aguayo was cut in the 12th, of an excellent round, and Escalera had both eyes and mouth cut open, plus he's broken his nose earlier on in the fight. So Escalera did stage a late comeback, but Arguello dished out further punishment by cutting his lips so bad that the doctor ended up waving the fight off for a second 13th round victory. He is sending, he is sending Arguello to the neutral corner, the cut on under Arguello's right eye. Ah, McCanny is worried about the cut on the upper lip. He's asked the ring doctor. They are going to stop this fight. They are going to stop this fight. And even, even as was the case when he knocked out Olivares in the 13th round to become the featherweight champion. Now, they stop the fight in the 13th round. And it's a technical knockout for Alexis Arguello. He becomes the junior lightweight champion of the world. His lip is apparently hanging off as well, by the way. It's a bad one. You can't really see it. It is on YouTube. You can watch it. But first fight, not that great to call it the picture. But Alexis did become a two-weight world champion with Duran being mentioned as a possible opponent. Even Angelo Dundee said that Arguello might be the only fighter who had the ability to beat Duran at lightweight? And Alexis Aguero's first defence of the WBC Super Featherweight title, he fought Ray Tam at Madison Square Garden. He was actually a southpaw Ray Tam as well. A billing that was shared between foreign promoter Don Frazier and Don King and was televised on the Wide World Sports American Broadcast Company, ABC, aka ABC. Aguero earned $115,000 when he stops out for Tammy five rounds and Alexis meet his third wife, who was Loretto Martinez. And Alexis was now represented by Don King Productions as King had struck up a deal with the Madison Square Garden Corporation to be the co-promoter. Alexis Aguero decided to test the water at lightweight with all the talk of Duran against Villamar Fernandez, 22-2 at Madison Square Garden again on July 26, he lost the close division. He did actually go on to avenge a defeat in a 10-round knockout in 1983, but it did put an end to any more talks of that fight against Roberto Duran. So then he would go on to rematch Alfredo Escalara, who was 42-9-2 at the time, which took place in the Sports Palace in Rimini in Italy on February the 4th, 1979. In what was another excellent fight once again, and it ended yet again in the 13th round with a stunning left hand, which floored Escalera, who did attempt to get back to his feet, only to fall into his corner. This was Aguayo's fourth defence of the WBC Super Featherweight title, the on-site doctor actually wanted Aguayo hospitalised, but he had a flight to catch from Rome the next day, so he decides to board a train from Romini with the doctor in tow, while the doctor stitched up Aguayo's cuts whilst they was on the train, which is an absolutely crazy story, of course. <laughs> Now, next up was Southport Raphael Bazooka Limon, who was 43 8 and 2, which was on July the 8th, 1979, at the Felt Forum in New York City. This was the same Limon that had a fantastic rivalry with Bobby Chacon, where they fought four amazing fights. Limon was caught in the first round due to a clash of heads. He was staggered right at the end of a brilliant third round, and the referee called halt to the fight due to Limon's bad cuts in the 11th. So, following the Limon fight, a man in the ring placed the Sardinista flag, which was at a socialist political party in Nicaragua at the time, over Aguayo's shoulder. Now, this was a party that Alexis believed in until their human rights abuses, mass execution and 
oppression of the homegrown Nicaraguan people, which made Aguayo rightly turn against him. Now, the Sardinistas felt that Aguayo had disrespected their regime and was associated with the opposition. So as a result, they ejected his mother and sister from his home back in Managuagua in the middle of the night. They confiscated his two houses, his boat, his gym, his chicken business, his motorhome, his Mercedes, his BMW and his bank account. He couldn't risk returning to his homeland. And Aguayo said, They confiscate my belongings because they said I was lieutenant of the Somoza army, which was major bullshit. And his largest home in Moagua became a residence for the Soviet envoys. His name was banned from the Nicaraguan newspapers and airwaves and he was branded a friend of the toppled Somoza regime. For proof, the Sandinistas pointed to the fact that Aguayo had once trained in the compound of the hated National Guard and ridden on a horse in parade for Somoza. And Aguayo was stunned. There'd been no other gym for him to train in then. And he says he did not even know Somoza would appear at that parade. Just months before the confiscation of Alexis's Nicaragua property, his brother Eduardo and Aguayo's sister, a tough teenage girl named Isabel, had flipped a coin to see who would fight for the Sandinistas and who would stay home to support their mother, who had separated from Guillermo, the father. And neither knew that the Sandinistas would eventually come under communist influence. It was Eduardo uh, who actually, they, they decided to flip a coin. Eduardo won the flip. And they went, and he went to war. And it was his unit was actually pinned in Managua, in the street in Managua, by a patrol of the Somoza soldiers. When they were nearly out of ammunition, he told the others to sneak off while he provided cover with his machine gun. A moment later, he was shot, then laid on a pile of tires and burned. Now the father wandered the streets for months looking for his son, but from 1976. Alexis was basically, he was in exile from his native country. So he moved to Miami with his family, where it was a very strong Hispanic heritage there, and they accepted him with open arms, and he was adored by the natives. So what a dreadful turn of events for Alexis Arguello with the craziness with the Sardinistas and the war that was happening out there and the, the death of his brother. I mean, what an awful situation for him to be him after that Limon fight. Oh, it's an absolutely crazy story. I mean, I know we've we've briefly touched on this in the legendary night, Alexis Aguayo, Aaron Pryor, of course. Go and check that out after you've given this a lesson. But the story of, of that happening is just absolutely crazy. Another crazy story for a guy who, as we go on further into his life now, has absolutely ups and downs so many times. So after all this had happened... We get to November the 16th, 1979, and was back in the ring and he took on former and future world champion Bobby Schoolboy Chacon. It was 42-4-1 at the Forum in Inglewood, California. After numerous postponements due to injuries, Chacon had endured, plus a suspension by the California Athletic Commission for pulling out of two of the original dates. He was actually fined $5,000. Forum promoter Don Fraser had to make a side payment to Arguello's current promoter, Mr. Slippery Don King, for his <laughs> signature to box Chacon. Now, Aguayo earned $110,000 and Chacon earned $35,000 with ESPN picking up only their second ever boxing match at this point, airing the live broadcast after taking over from ABC. Aguayo ended up too good for Chacon on the night. A left hook sent Chacon down in the seventh round before an onslaught of rights and lefts opened a deep cut on Chacon's right eye. And during the interval, the referee, John Thomas, stopped the fight, making it the sixth successful defence of Arguello's titles. On the January the 20th, 1980, in Arizona, Arguello stopped Ruben Castillo, who was 44-0 at the time, by an 11th round stoppage, losing for only the first time in his career, Castillo. He would go on to lose to guys like Salvador Sanchez, Juan Laporte, and even Julio Cesar Chavez. Aguayo made his eighth and last defence of that WBC super featherweight title against another Southpaw and another future world champion in Rolando Navarrete, who was 36-6-3, who retired on his corner after the fourth round. I mean, what a role. Some of these names, future world champions, this is a, a fantastic sequence of wins here from, from Alexis Aguero, and it, it continued on August 9th, 1980 at the Steel Pier in Atlantic City, New Jersey. 
Alexis still holding on to that super featherweight title. He moved up to lightweight for the second time in his career against Ugandan British citizen and another future two-time world champion in Cornelius Bowser Edwards, who was 27 one with 22 knockouts as well that we had with the legend that is the old trainer Mickey Duff by his side Bowser Edwards was stunned in the fourth hurt in the seventh and battered in the eighth before Duff had basically seen enough and he pulled his man out Duff said after the fight Alexis was just too tough Alexis Aguero fought one and only time on these shores at the Empire Pool in London on June 20th 1981 against the WBC and ring Lightweight champion Jim Watt, 38 and 7. And this was his fifth defence after winning the vacant title in 1979. It was a convincing victory for Alexis Aguero, who put Watt down in the seventh with a long left hand before going on to win by unanimous decision and left England with another fan base behind him as he did, as he travelled. That's one thing we haven't mentioned about the times he's travelled and won in these fights. Left the ring with adoring people just adoring this guy. After the fight, what kept his humour and respect for Aguayo, saying a great quote, I have a car business, and if I was to do an estimate on my face, I'd probably write it off. <laughs> <laughs> great little quote from Jim Watt. Victory made Alexis Aguayo only the sixth boxer to win world titles in three divisions and the second Latin American after Wilfred Benitez to become the first by beating Maurice Hope one month before. So just a month after Benitez, but he would have been the first, but yeah, only the second Latin American to, to hold three world titles, three different world titles, in three, three great divisions, which is fantastic, excellent, great achievement. And his first defence and 16th world title shot on October the 3rd, 1981, he took on the undefeated Ray Boom Boom Mancini, was 20-0 at the time, at the Bailey's Park Place in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Aguayo retained the WBC and the ring lightweight titles. Mancini went down in the 12th before being stopped in the 14th round. It was an outstanding fight, but it's better remembered for Arguello's embrace of Mancini and telling the CBS television reporter that he would do anything to help Mancini's father, who at the time was dealing with illness he had suffered in World War II. Well, I tell him from the beginning, uh, I had uh, the best condition in my life because I knew it. Mancini is one of the rated fighters. He's too young for sure, but... I think in the near future he's going to be one of the best fighters uh, of all time because he has a lot of determination. And um, like I said from the beginning, it was, I expect uh, a tough fight. That was it, you know, you saw him. Alexis, you are truly one of the class champions in boxing. Ray Mancini, when this fight was made, was very respectful of you. He felt it was a privilege to fight you. You two guys have conducted yourselves wonderfully. It's certainly a credit to the sport of boxing, which has enough problems outside of the ring. You two guys are a credit to what it's all about. Here is the challenger, Ray Mancini. Come on in here. That's what we're that's what we're talking about. Thank you, Ray Mancini. I love you, Father. That's the most beautiful thing you have, like I have my father. Take good care of you. You're going to be a good, good promise. And I promise if I can do something for you, let me know, please. Thank you. Okay. Eddie Futch joined the ever-growing Arguello team and the following year, Mancini would actually go on to win the WBA lightweight title. Now, in Aguayo's fourth and last defence of the WBC and ring lightweight titles against Andrew Ganigan, who was 34-3. On May the 22nd, 1982, in Nevada, he was dropped in the second round, but went on to recover with a stunning fifth-round knockout, adding the vacant lineal lightweight title in the process. He then went on to knock out Kevin Rooney within two rounds on July the 31st, 1982, in Atlantic City. Now, Kevin Rooney, he wasn't a good boxer, but he was a very good trainer. And we know him from the early days of training Mike Tyson, of course. Now, it was evident that he wasn't a great boxer when he was knocked out badly in his last professional fight against the great Alexis Arguello. So now we move into a section of the show which has been heavily covered by the Legendary Nights podcast that I alluded to earlier, the tale of Pryor versus Arguello, the Legendary Nights episode. So we're not going to go 
too much into that. We'll only briefly touch on the prior fights because we would love you to go and check out the Legendary Knights episode, which we went into great detail on about them fights. But obviously, the two Aaron prior fights are what he is very well remembered for alongside all these titles that he won over the years. You don't beat an Aaron Pryor and you don't beat an Alexis Arguello until you absolutely destroy either fighter. Who's the hungrier fighter, you think? I don't know that at 1.6 and 1.5 million you can say anybody's hungry. Aaron Pryor wants a recognition. Alexis Aguayo is fighting for history. That gives you a heck of an incentive that money can't. And in that fight against Aaron Pryor, he did go on to, to lose the fight in what was a fantastic fight. And it was the infamous fight as well, because it was the one where Panama Lewis had the black bottle that he supposedly mixed. Yeah. Oh, goodness me. Panama Lewis. We went into great detail that was in that bottle. A fantastic fight. And he got he did get fight of the eighties, he did fight of the decade as well, which says something how great the eighties was. So and it was in Miami as well, in front of his uh, Hispanic faithful, his new adopted faithful after what happened in his home country. So, yeah, I mean, we're going to go too much into it. Do listen to Legendary Night Pod. And, and obviously, he, he did go on to fight Aaron Pryor after. But it was actually before that as well, where um, it was after that first loss to Pryor that he actually stayed in his bedroom for days on end as well, where his wife served him three meals a day. His eldest son, AJ, who was 11 at the time, was actually forbidden from entering. He actually sat down and watched the videotape of the fight over and over again. He says 50 times over and over again, just watching it. So that was the reason that he was just, he was depressed, obviously. And he signed to fight prior once more, but he was not in a good place mentally. Uh, he, he exhausted in that first fight. We went into it in great detail. He did overtrain, he says, but he was knocked out in the 10th before his first retirement, obviously he does make a return, which we'll go into in a minute, but two excellent fights, the first one being outstanding against Pryor, but yeah, um, at this point, Alexis Aguero was a, he was it really for him, he had already achieved what he needed to achieve, and, and the time to enjoy himself, hopefully, but obviously he had inner demons, so following retirement, he actually took up acting lessons and a course in grammar. He formed a corporation to promote boxing matches and to start his own stable of fighters. And he campaigned for a union to ensure medical benefits and a pension for boxers and to cleanse the sport of corruption. He did boxing commentary for TV, he appeared on Miami Vice and he memorised lines from Hamlet. He laid plans to market. Alexis Arguello wristwatches and Alexis Arguello an athletic drink to do a video demonstrating self-defence to children. Then to buy an old ballroom and convert it into a restaurant and lounge. He actually did some Miller Lite commercials as well and appearances and he planned a camp for the youths where they would learn to read and write as well as box. He paid mortgages on the homes he'd bought for his mother-in-law and brother and he would write spur-of-the-moment checks to charities. So at this point in time, he's, he's quite... Well, he's throwing all the money about. He's At this point in time, he's throwing all his money around, left, right and centre. He's being involved in TV shows. He's, he's looking at all these different projects he wants to get involved in. But it was not enough for him. So in 1983, he went to a contra camp in Costa Rica and trained with a machine gun and the rebels to feel good about something again. But after an attempt to surprise a Sandinista stronghold, he was spotted and they shot his friend to death. He returned to Nicaragua shortly after before returning to Miami. Yeah, I mean, crazy. He's obviously... And the other thing which we haven't touched on was the fact he was on cocaine at the time. He... he he said when he was when he was fighting, he could sit still for hours to recuperate the body. He said as soon as he retired, he couldn't sit still for five minutes, and that's why he just kept buying stuff, just giving money away. There's a story of him just giving money to this taxi driver because he helped him with a lift. I mean, it's a taxi driver. They help you with a lift, Alexis. Why are you giving him? Why are you going to give him some more money for? And then he offered him to go on his boat. And the next thing you know, he's this dude on his boat in Miami. He doesn't even know where he is. He was just just type of person and he just didn't know what to do with himself but then obviously you know we've had, we've had this with Sugar Ray Robinson before the creditors the IRS agents lawyers and accountants started calling him up and they uh, basically the question was what happened to Aguero's money and basically it's not an easy it's not easy to pinpoint the stories beneath a crossfire of accusations the IRS claims and creditors 
creditors' bills stacked up for months in a small mountain of unopened letters. There's some issue about the key for a property between the Dr. Roman and Arguello and him not having their key. It was crazy. But people close to Alexis Arguello now claim that Roman arranged to take out large loans using Arguero's assets as collateral, that questionable stock market dealings occurred, that tax returns were improperly filed, and that Roman took advantage of the fact that Alexis Arguero was so trusting, and he was a trusting son, and would sign anything Roman placed in front of him. Now, Roman denies these charges completely. He says, I've tried to put money in places where he wouldn't touch it. Alexis didn't lose all that money. He spent it, and it was about $3 million, I believe, is all the money that he had saved, and it's mainly for that for two prior fights. And he went on to say nothing was done without his or his wife's signature. They are responsible. I never arranged any loan. He never asked my advice about buying all those houses. He just bought them. So uh, once again, we have this, this dispute with a manager where the fighter ends up skin and it is a, it's a constant thing that seems to happen with all these career profiles we do Sean and it's something that just always happens you have this great story and this fantastic relationship that all of a sudden when it comes to the end of their career this this sort of stuff happens it's just really interesting so he had to return to boxing to pay his taxes and while still fighting in 1986 just before his fight with billy costello in february of that year his mother passed away and died in nicaragua but because of the issues that we've discussed earlier, he wasn't allowed to go back to Nicaragua because his name was completely banned from the country. He wasn't allowed to go back. Aguayo was actively involved in Nicaraguan politics with the Sardinista National Liberation Front, or the FSLN. And this actually was the same party whom he took up arms against in the 1980s. And in 2004, he was actually elected vice mayor of Manuaga amid accusations of vote rigging. Aguayo actually narrowly won the mayor election in Managua on November the 9th, 2008. Elections against a candidate of the Constitutionalist Liberal Party, Eduardo Montalegre, who would come second to Daniel Ortega in the 2006 presidential election. Aguayo's margin of victory was narrow, as he attained just 51.30% of the vote. One of the best junior lightweights ever to step in the ring has died. Alexis Arguello was found dead early Wednesday in his home in Managua, Nicaragua. The La Prensa newspaper reports the 57-year-old former boxing champ and mayor of Managua was found with a gunshot wound to the chest. Aguayo himself died on July the 1st, 2009, after apparently shooting himself through the heart in Managua. Now, the National Police confirmed the death shortly afterwards, and the death was ruled a suicide following the autopsy. Those close to Aguayo affirmed that he was coming progressively disenchanted with the Orteguistas and the Sandinista government and was planning an imminent departure from the Sandinista political party. It does sound fishy. Uh, we ain't going to obviously dig too far into it, but yeah, it doesn't sound quite right for me. It sounds like something a little bit more than just he could suicide. Do you think that it's possible that maybe he got too involved in the politics side of things and maybe even that yeah. dark that someone could have even put a price on his head to have him taken out? It's quite possible, isn't it? It's, it's interesting because obviously who he went to, that was the Sardinistas who he, who he went in for. I mean, obviously it was several years later, you know, 2004 when he was elected vice mayor, but it is very interesting. It's something we didn't, we didn't dig too far into because obviously we're trying to do the boxing side of things. But, now, he obviously did make his return to boxing, as, as we mentioned. Yeah, I just think there's a little bit more in it. And obviously, he had the cocaine issues as well. He had some really bad issues. So I, I, I feel like they used that, because he did mention about killing himself as well, to his son as well, AJ. So and there was moments that AJ discussed where he actually caught him with a, with a shotgun and he actually talked him out of killing himself. But I just think that it was an easy target. Someone like that who's suicidal and then all of a sudden does commit suicide under very... If you're going to be suicidal, you'd expect him to just do it. And I think it just sounds a little bit suspect. But it's something we haven't been dug into. Maybe uh, maybe the dark side of boxing still making me think everything's sus- <laughs> suspect. But who knows? Uh, but yeah, it just, it just I don't think it's clear shut as he committed suicide. 
It's an interesting topic that will certainly be one that we could certainly look into for the darker side of boxing. So, in 1992, Aguayo was elected into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. In 2008, he was honoured by being selected as Nicaragua's flag bearer at the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics. Alexis Aguayo was voted as the greatest junior lightweight ever by the Houston Boxing Hall of Fame in 2014. The Houston Boxing Hall of Fame is a voting body composed entirely of current and former fighters. So he's being appraised by guys that have been in the ring all their lives and guys that have been at a similar and same level. And I think when we put it into perspective of what he did in his career, you've got to look at what he did. He was a three-weight world champion. He held the WBA featherweight title from 1974 to 1976, the WBC super featherweight title from 1978 to 1980, the WBC lightweight title from 1981 to 82, and additionally, he held the ring magazine and lineal featherweight titles from 1975 to 77, the ring lightweight title from 81 to 82, and the lineal lightweight title in 1982 obviously we've covered his career quite detailed later on in that career as we discussed earlier he challenged twice for the lightweight away titles obviously against Aaron Pryor so he was trying to go for a further way to make even more history the ring magazine has ranked Arguello as 20th on their list of 100 greatest punches of all time, while the Associated Press ranked him as the world best super featherweight of the 20th century, and he was named one of the 20 greatest fighters in the past 80 years by The Ring magazine. So to put all that into perspective about Alexis Aguayo, just goes to really show you and show the listeners how good and quality and legendary of a fighter Alexis Aguayo was. A brilliant fighter. Absolutely brilliant. I, I don't get bored of watching his fights. I think he's just a, he's just great viewing. There's long levers and the way he could break a fight down, you could literally see him move through the gears. And he, he, was, just, he was an artist. He really was. And, and that sequence of fights that he had in, in sort of from 1960, after that Escalera the second fight and then the fight Limon and then Chicon and then Castillo and then Navarrete and then Bonser Edwards and then Ramirez and Jim Watt and Vasquez and Ray Mancini, that is one of the best sequence of fights. I think the only other person I can think of that had a better sequence than that is uh, Manny Pacquiao. Honestly, it is just a brilliant sequence of fights before, obviously, and, and Andrew Gagans was the other guy, but obviously before the prior fight, but Ah, oh, what an exceptional talent. Just a pleasure to watch. Devastating. A gentleman outside the ring and an animal inside of it. And one of my favourite quotes that he says himself on boxing, he says, and about himself is, I'm not a fighter. I'm an artist. Boxing should be beautiful. It should be like ballet dancing. And that, if that is what you achieve, you try to achieve in life, when you watch it, it is basically like ballet in a way. Floats around the ring and just just dissects fighters is just brilliant to watch and a fantastic career profile and what a magnificent fighter absolute magnificent fighter big thank you to martin lee who recommends us a career profile pretty much every single time we drop another one so martin thanks very much for for giving us this alexis aguayo the explosive fin man we really enjoyed covering this episode for career profiles as we did covering the tale of Pryor versus Aguayo for the legendary night series which we plugged a little bit earlier on and would recommend you also go and listen to that if you want more detail on the Pryor and Aguayo fights that they contested in but just to summarize then Alexis Aguayo one of the greatest to ever do it Nicaragua's favorite fights Nicaragua's hero turbulent affair with the country political issues that went on possible conspiracy theories that could be touched on later on down the line for the darker side of boxing an absolute enigma of a man and a great guy to be able to have done a career profile on and if you've enjoyed the career profile of Alexis Arguello, then please go and let us know. We always ask you to do it on every episode, but just drop us a tweet at career underscore profiles and just let us know you've enjoyed it. We get a massive thrill out of the fact that you guys listen to it. And of course, leave us the comments to let us know you've thoroughly enjoyed it. Please do so. And if you want to go onto Apple Podcast, if you're the Apple Podcast user, please go and rate it and review 
the podcast because every review that comes up on there truly helps get us out there the word of mouth on social media is one of the best things that you guys could go and do for us a couple of great reviews recently from ryan evans 84 uh, and also tyler denny as well thank you so much guys for giving us the reviews on the career profiles podcast we've truly truly appreciated all the support we've had for this podcast and all the other podcasts that we run and we hope you've enjoyed this career profile on the explosive thin man who was alexis aguayo Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.